The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 11 minutes after 8. Thanks for joining us on the Forum at 8. This morning we're discussing the National Income Dynamics Study. It's called NIDS. And the research is part of a government effort to track and understand the shifting face of poverty. Now, NIDS examined the livelihoods of individuals and households over time. So we're asking today, how will redefining poverty help to break this cycle? And it's not meant to be some patronizing, well-meaning discussion when we say shifting face of poverty. What does that mean? Well, let's let's get a picture of, of a community that lives in, and I'm going to call it extreme poverty. We, we know of Beckersdahl, we know of Deepslid, Zamdela, Tlokwe, Kailicha, all of these very troubled places in the country, which have come to symbolize a growing wave of protest in the past few years. People who are very unhappy with the state of being and want a change. Let's go to a place that's just 50 kilometers away from Santon. Santon, the richest square mile in Africa, and just 50 kilometers away from it is a place called Kutsung. You may have heard of it. And really the picture that's been generated of Kutsung is a place that's burning, where protesters are committing acts of vigilante justice, mobs that go around killing gangsters. But really, let's get a picture of how people are living in Kutsung. How are the very honest, decent people who are trying to make a living in Kutsung? Let's, let's find out from them and, and hear from exactly what was needed in a community. That's perhaps a picture of poverty. Talking to us now is the Kutsung Crisis Committee Secretary, Terence Kejana. Thanks so much for joining us, Terence. appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much, Esha. Terence, I'm, I'm good this morning. You're, you're just on the West Rand, 50 kilometers away from Santon. Uh, how many people live in Kutsung? Uh, 14,900. 14, so about 149,000. 149,000 people living, 149, living yes. in Kutsung. And, and are there schools for, for the young people there? Is, is there water and electricity? Do people have access to that? Yes, there is an water and electricity. Are there are there good schools in the community? Not much like that, but well, there is a slightly development. Mm. What's the main source of employment in the area? Where are people employed? You know, the, the only source of employment that we we we, we track is the is the mining industry. That is the only available one. And, and how many people actually manage to get jobs at the mine? If if this is the main source of jobs. You know, less, less, lesser, lesser than ten percent of the number that are calculated. So, what what do the other people do? How do they earn a living? It is a very devastating situation uh, at Hutong. You know, there is an only uh, project program that 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 is the criteria of poverty alleviation. Other than that one, there are people who are engaging in criminal activities, but based on the community condemnation of of the crime last year. I mean, this year, uh, that kind of conditions were, were, were eliminated to a, 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 a lower level of the crime. But there is an also devastating one whereby we are closer to the mining industry. And most of the young people are engaging for, for sexual activities in order to make the living. And one, again, that is devastating, it is an impact of the crime, the capacity of the level of the crime in order for the people to survive. Those are three fundamental aspects to make a living for our people. Whereas there is a complete neglection of the mining houses in terms mm. of developing the people and, and extracting them from the poverty. But that, that role uh, that is stipulated in the, in, mm. in the mining charter 
mining industry is not contributing in order to assist the level of uh, attempts in order to eradicate poverty. Terence, what, what, what about the expanded public works program? You, you talked about the mining houses hiring, uh, you know, 10% of the community, uh, the Casanovas, the gangs in the area hiring the poor, uh, preying opportunistically on, on, on the fact that people are poor in the community, uh, sex workers, of course, young women turning to, to be sex workers for those who are engaged in work at the mines. But what about the expanded public works program? Here's a government initiative to hire people. Is that not working? It's not working at all. What is happening is a manipulation of the processes. Only those who are closer to the officials uh, are recommended for those opportunities. But the majority of the young people are not benefiting. This is not existing at all the extended public works. What we see is a tender processes involved in the EWP program. Now, it's not, there is no perfect street in terms of the recruitment of the young people towards that program. Mm. It's not working at all. And so, so how, do you, how do you help? How do you, as the Kutsung Crisis Committee, assist the people in the community to lift them out of poverty, to get jobs, to get a good education? We, we, we as a structure that is concerned with uh, constitutional provisions, we, 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 we address issues relevantly to the necessary stakeholders that we should take measures to, to, to help our people. As a crisis committee, we are representing the community without uh, uh, authority maybe to hire them anywhere, but to advocate for them in terms of the opportunities. But it tends to be a two-time exercise because uh, in, that, in that sense, we, are, we, are, we, we end up being victimized uh, uh, for helping our people. Now, we are, we are, we, we are left with the frustration which will result into a, a revolt of the community of Kutu. That is the problem that we have, especially in Kutu. Terence, thank you for joining us. Terence Skenjana is the secretary of the Kutsung Crisis Committee, talking to us and giving us a picture of a community that, that lives in poverty, 149,000 people living in this community, and barely 10% of them hired in permanent jobs. Let's talk about the study now and how this relates, how this picture relates to the National Income Dynamics Study. It was released yesterday. We've got the uh, co-principal investigator of the National Income Dynamics Study uh, research team who's joining us in our C Point studios. Dr. Reza Daniels, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. And uh, joining me in studio here is Mandeep Tawana, the head of policy and research at Civicus. Uh, Tawana, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you, Darshan, and for starting a discussion on this very important topic. I think let's, let's start with exactly what is poverty, because we're going to be using that phrase quite often during the program. We're going to refer to the poor, refer to poverty, but, but what is the definition of poverty? It seems even the academic world doesn't even have one. I, I, I recalled Kutsung a picture of extreme poverty, but reading articles about it last night, you can hear absolute poverty being talked about, relative poverty, which is used almost glaringly in the media as interchangeable terms. But, but Dr. Daniels, perhaps we can start with you. Since you conducted the study, what is the definition of poverty in South Africa? Well, definitions of poverty would usually be with respect to something like uh, income, how much income is earned by the household. Uh, an alternative way in which you can uh, measure poverty is to consider how much uh, you can consider nutritional poverty, like thinking uh, in that case about how much um, food is required for an average adult or child um, or infant, in fact. 
So the discussion about poverty in the absolute and relative sense, those two terms you used previously, an absolute uh, poverty line, for example, would be um, a, an income measure where you would say something like a dollar a day or two dollars per day, which are sort of very famous international poverty lines, are chosen. That would be an absolute poverty line. Mm. A relative poverty line would be something where you'd consider shares of populations um, uh, that are in poverty relative to uh, shares that are out of poverty, um, and you can conduct a whole bunch of different measures that uh, give you um, better pictures of poverty. And then, of course, nutrition is really important because whether people are above or below a certain income um, poverty line, uh, it may not necessarily be informative about the nutritional status of children or of, indeed, uh, the parents. Now, in, in your study, did you choose a, a poverty line, a level uh, that, that you thought either income or nutritional poverty? Was, was there a monthly uh, amount that you, that you looked at in your study? Yes, so the first thing to understand about the National Income Dynamics Study is that it's a a survey of approximately 28,000 people in South Africa, which is nationally representative of uh, all nine provinces and all 11 languages. And we go into field and we track changes in people's lives every two years. So it started in 2008, uh, it went back into field 2010, and then it went back into field 2012. And yesterday we released what's called the third wave. So each time we go into field, it's called a wave uh, because it's a wave of interviews that take place. And we, re- we released the results to the public yesterday of, of some research that we did on that data. But the data itself is freely available to the public and anyone anywhere in the world can download it from our website. So we will find out those details because I did receive an SMS earlier on listeners wanting to get access to that information. Uh, Mandeep Tawana joining me from Civicus in the studio. Mandeep, it is sort of an argument that's raging. Exactly, is it a dollar a day or two dollars a day? Is it, you know, the media sort of report on this as as something between 600 and and 700 rand a month as a a poverty level. But what do you understand as poverty? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the UN defines poverty as $1.25 a day, which in itself is a really skewed amount. I mean, you can imagine it's about 13 rand a day. But th- th- that challenge with, with the global discourse and, you know, with, with policymakers is that they're looking at poverty in very monetized terms. And poverty is a human rights violation. It is the greatest human rights violation that is taking place at the moment. And we need to recognize that. 1.2 billion people, or 22% of the globe's population, or 48% people in sub-Saharan Africa, live on less than $1.25 a day. Which means, if you if you if you have if you don't have the, if you don't if you have that kind of uh, income level, you can't access basic health, basic education, basic shelter, but more importantly, your your right to life and security of person. And equality of opportunity and equality before the law is imperiled. So we have to look at poverty as a human rights violation and address it as such. The second point I want to make is poverty is, is, is not a natural state. It's a man-made construct. It's, it's a result of skewed political, economic and social policies and of collusion between the political and the economic elite. In fact, uh, the well-respected civil society group Oxfam did a study last year and they said in 2012, the world's 100 top billionaires earned enough money to end extreme poverty four times over. 
the, the word poverty itself, uh, apart from the, the, the definitions that we talked about, now there's also a political sort of element to the word poverty. It almost intrinsically says, what are you going to do about it, right? So here's your poverty in the country. And, and are, are studies like NIDS very important, uh, Mandeep? I think the studies are important, but these studies need to look at poverty in holistic human rights terms. They need to look at how about people being able to change the political system, the economic system, how much access they have there. They also need to look at about, about people being able to access their basic rights. And basic rights doesn't just mean social and economic rights. I think it's very important to look at poverty, poverty as a failure of governance. And unfortunately, a lot of our mainstream studies don't look at poverty as a failure of governance. They look at it as state is providing these services. But these are not, this is, these are not, this is, this is not a state doing a favor. These are basic entitlements. Well, let's look at what this study unveiled. And if you'd like to give us a call, 0891104208. Send me your SMSs on 34701. Paseko Makoti says we should give every voter a basic income grant. It's being called BIG, right? And it's of 250 rand a week, she says, uh, for entrepreneurship, development, economic inclusion, and redress. And Rubson Dima writes, our poverty will continue as long as unemployment prevails and workers are expected to work for consensual sex, saying Rubson Dima. Uh, Reza Daniels joining me uh, at the uh, Cape Town studios, our Seapoint studios. Dr. Daniels, in this study, what, what did you uncover over the last three waves since 2008? 28,000 people in your study. What did you see? How did it change for the lives of these individuals? Okay, so the first thing I'd like to pick up on is just what can be done with the study because we've released an overview document which is available on our website, which we'll come to later, which summarizes some of the findings. But um, the, the, the fantastic thing about this project is that uh, the data can be used by social scientists um, uh, of every discipline um, in epidemiology and the life sciences as well because we collect data on income, on expenditure, but also on health, on education, on ser social services, on neighborhoods, and on perceptions of quality of life. So that data in its raw form can then, uh, by researchers, be used uh, to conduct analyses of any sort that they want. Um, and that's really the power of this data set. So the findings that we looked at, the one dimension of this data set that's also quite unique is that by tracking people over time, what you do is you get a window into transitions in their lives, how people sometimes move into poverty, sometimes how they escape poverty, if you define it in a particular way, for example, through um, a, an income poverty line. You can also look at how people transition through school, so how kids get through school. Are they actually um, repeating grades? How, what proportion of the population are um, repeating grades? And then you can also look at other transitions. What happens when someone has um, uh, moves into a period of ill health, for example, how does that affect their labor market searching capacity if they're unemployed, or how does it affect indeed their employment and productivity when uh, they do get infected by uh, different communicable diseases? I heard Trevor Manuel talking about it yesterday, and he's saying one of the biggest triggers is the change in the family head, and he, and he related the story of uh, Zuleka, a 49-year-old, who entered the, the cycle of poverty almost. Correct. So one of the things that we found is that people who are 
entering into poverty very frequently um, it's caused by uh, losing a, a form of income either that the household head loses a job or for example that the household loses remittance income that was previously sent by a family member and those are all different ways in which households start entering into poverty so uh, one of the things that we were trying to isolate and what the minister was case studying was um, or he was profiling three case studies the names or Leko is an anonymized name because our data is confidential mm. and we cannot disclose uh, the identities of our respondents. Um, but that, but that uh, hypothetical name, uh, Zoleka, was uh, indicative of thousands of households in South Africa that do indeed, um, through changes in their household formation, uh, through families splitting up, through families getting back together, new children being born, all those dynamics affect who gets into poverty. Right, and it also affects who gets out of poverty sometimes if you're measuring it just by an income line because uh, people move back to their parents' houses, they move in with grandparents who may be recipients of a government grant. Um, so there are different ways in which people cope with uh, being severely financially constrained. The wonderful thing about the data, again, is that once you get hold of it, you can begin to investigate those stories for yourself and see, as a researcher, exactly uh, what's happening at that level. We have a phone call from Hassan Logart uh, who wants to talk about this. He says we need to talk about who causes poverty, not what causes a p- poverty. Hassan, good morning. Uh, yeah, I have been involved for a while in, uh, in, in NGOs and unions and that. My, the question that I've had for a long time when I worked in, in the NGO field is that we spend a lot of time on how people get out of poverty, but we don't talk about those that produce poverty and, and sustain poverty. We raised, uh, as part of the benchmark delegation with Action Aid, with some of the community groups, Makua and others, yeah. we met the president, um, presidency uh, um, about two weeks ago, and we said every time the mining communities raise an issue of who pollutes their their land, who uh, uh, put uh, uh, dirty water uh, in in their communities, cracked houses, etc., we say to them that they are policing the poor. The rich guys who are doing this are not being arrested, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, and so I'm saying to you that this whole system, and it's not a mistake that it is systematically that the poor people are being screwed. And what we end up doing now is talking about how people can get out of it. We can get out of it by fighting those that cause poverty. Hassan Lagarde, thank you very much uh, for that phone call. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to take a short break. We do have to go to uh, your news headlines, and then we'll talk to Rowena Bird, but we'll continue the conversation. Uh, I know we still have Anne on the line. We'll try to give you a call back, but if you'd like to give us a call, 0891104208. I'll also read out your SMSs on 34701. You can also tweet us on AM Live on SAFM. It's exactly 8.30. Here's your news headlines with Fabakshini Chetty. Thank you, Darshan. Good morning. The Tswane Metro in Pretoria says it has started to assist those that were affected by last Thursday's storm. 100 million rand has been set aside for repairs after the storm that caused damage to approximately 44,800 homes. Corruption Watch has described as embarrassing South Africa's score on the 2013 Corruption Perception Index. South Africa is ranked 72 out of 177 countries on the index and 10th 
on the list of African countries. As the price of petrol goes up, Transport Minister Dupuyo Peters has again defended the e-tolling system, saying it will increase government's ability to speedily improve road infrastructure. The bail application of Czech fugitive Radovan Kretscher and three co-accused will resume in the Palm Ridge Regional Court on Gauteng's East Rand today before facing charges of kidnapping and assault following an incident which happened in June. Former President Nelson Mandela still has his fighting spirit despite his illness. That's according to his oldest daughter, Makaziwe Mandela. She was speaking to the SABC on the sidelines of the launch of the 850-page book that chronicles the life and times of the world icon. I'll be back with a full news update at 9. Traffic on SAFM. Anyone coming off the M1 Highway onto Allendale Road, there's quite a heavy queue through Vorna Valley down towards uh, Kailami. Uh, there's been a collision on Allendale Road before you get to the uh, R55. Uh, Jeburg Toll Roads, the N1 all queued up between Ravonia and William Nickel going southbound. The rest of the highway network uh, moving quite nicely. Still pressures off the highway, particularly around Alberton, Germiston. There's just heavy traffic on routes like Van Rivick Road out of Alberton, Vitz Rifles Road into Germiston. Uh, Heidelberg Road coming off Four Trekker Road, South Rand Road, Rand Airport Road, those sort of routes full of traffic. Also, two toll plazas on the R21 between Olifants Fontaine Road and the R23 Benoni exit. And what we're noticing is motorists are using a combination of the R23 High Road and Pretoria Road, sort of coming through Calfontaine, Vitfontaine, uh, Tembisa up to Clayville. So there's just heavy traffic in that area. Also, Pretoria Road through uh, sort of Birchley, Glen Maria into Kempton Park. That's an alternative, and that's uh, full of uh, traffic as well. So might not be heavy backlogged but you will be moving slowly uh, traffic lights down Republic and judges in Cresta causing delays Bayers Nordir at Pendorings down Bayers Nordir uh, further down at Montgomery Park has some traffic light issues so there are delays there uh, Pretoria this morning not so bad the highway network's looking good Mudpony Highway and Theo Martins around the bend of Bremer Street still jamming up and Solomon Mishlangu still very slow as you come around from sort of uh, uh, the Delmas Road side over the N1 and down in towards the Vascliffe High School area Cape Town busy this morning uh, Durban Road queuing Durbanville through to Belleville, Stellenbosch Arterial Road coming out of Stellenbosch uh, through to Blackheath is all jammed up going down towards the R102. N1 is heavy from around about sort of Kiel, Basson all the way to the Coburg interchange trying to get into that is uh, heavily backed up on Sable Road for uh, anyone that's coming through uh, passing Century City, big uh, slow moving traffic. In the N7, Vanguard Drive slow through Goodwood, slow through Epping both on the run southbound towards the N2. Rob Byrne, AM Live, Traffic Watch. And coming up at 9 o'clock, morning talk with Rowena Bird. Rowena's on the line to tell us what's coming up. Hi, Rowena. Hello, Dash, and good morning to you. Good Here's morning. what's coming up on morning talk today. In the first hour, we'll have our much-loved open line. The listener sets the agenda, and we talk about whatever is on your mind. On Workers on Wednesday, we get an update on the Stop Violence Against Women Justice for Bingi Musiane campaign. And we'll actually assess to what extent trade unions have embraced and steered this particular campaign. Obviously, very relevant as we're still in the middle of the of the 16 days of no violence against women and children campaign. We'll also take a look at the third global conference on agriculture and food security. It's currently underway. And we'll ask the question how this conference will help millions of the world's populations who are living in poverty and in hunger. And lastly, we'll focus on the National Business Awards and explore how these awards encourage entrepreneurship and how they contribute to the growth of the SMME sector. 
That's Morning Talk for today. Thank you, Darshan. Thanks so much, Rowena. Now, in the first half of, of uh, the Forum at 8, we spoke to a man from Kutsung, one of the uh, secretaries of the Kutsung crisis community. He painted us a picture of this community living alongside the richest gold mines in the country, 10% of uh, the people in the community employed, the rest employed in the sex trade or gangsterism, while others are looking for alternatives. And now we're talking about poverty and its relationship to poverty. There was a study conducted uh, over the last uh, few years, since 2008, the National Income Dynamics Study. But Hassan is saying, well, we haven't really answered the question of who causes poverty. Dr. Reza Daniels, was that part of the study? Did you look at at perhaps how governance plays an issue here, as uh, Mandeep Tawana was talking about? We didn't look at how governance plays an issue. The question is, ask uh, respondents to describe uh, their uh, individual circumstances, the circumstances of the households that they live in, and um, the circumstances uh, of the community to the extent that they describe neighborhood safety, for example, and to the extent that they describe service provision that's taking place inside their communities. So aside from that, we don't go into governance issues um, at all. Are you concerned that this study may be coming across as rather self-serving, as, as some accuse of, uh, of academia? These studies can be like ivory towers of, of academia. They never see the light of day and, and only serve to fulfill their own purposes, which in this case could be construed as, as more leverage for the NDP. That's a great question. So the reason why I don't think that it's any of those things um, is because of the fact that our data is freely available to anyone, anywhere in the world. Um, you, it's not designed to support the NDP or any other individual um, policy program of the South African government. It's designed to study the livelihoods of individuals and households. And many other countries in the world have identical studies, including Mexico, mm. Indonesia, the USA, um, Europe, and other countries. And that's because when you track people over time, you get a very specific form of data that allows you uh, to do what's called um, panel data or longitudinal data analysis. And that gives you a, a, an insights which the normal data that SA produces, which are called cross-sectional data sets, like the census, for example, can't give you the same insights to. So it's a complementary data tool to our existing uh, set of data in South Africa. It's not a substitute for anything. Mm. And then it's not in any way designed to uh, have a particular policy agenda other than to follow people's lives over time and then researchers, it's their responsibility to get the tools they need to analytically work that data and, and leverage it to the maximum ability that it can be used. Mandeep Tawana, that's people like you now to take that information. Uh, Dr. Daniels may have heard you chuckling in the background when he said it's not meant to leverage the NDP. There's some critical information that's come out of it. We know that no fee schools are working. Uh, people, Households are spending less money on sending their kids to school. Uh, the youth that were surveyed, we found 54% of them in stable employment. Uh, we found that the agricultural sector no longer the preferred place for jobs, and they're not job creators anymore. Uh, and we also heard the story of Zuleka about the cycle of poverty, how people can escape poverty and then re-emerge into poverty once again, especially when the head of the family changes. These are important things, surely. Surely, but, but you know, the problem is much larger. I mean, South Africa is often cited as the most unequal country in the world, and I think if there's inequality, it's a failure of governance, and it's unfortunate that, that, you know, that's something which needs to be studied. But inequality is not just a South African problem. It's a global problem. 
in fact, the IMF had mentioned that 0.5% of the world's population controls 35% of its wealth. Mm. Why were you chuckling when, when Dr. Daniels was, was relating how this study is not meant to prop up the NDP? Because I, I think it doesn't... It, it, what it needs to study is, are the economic policies, is the policy of of uh, allowing, engendering, a, enabling climate for big business, is uh, the state abdicating its basic responsibilities like providing health care, education, security, all of these. Uh, those are things that need to be studied. I know that in South Africa there's a, there, there's a parallel system. Those who can afford it send their children to private schools. Those who can afford it, go to private hospitals. Those who can afford it, use private security. Now, these are surely the responsibility of the state. I mean, the, the state's uh, services are, 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 are so, uh, unfortunately, are in such a, a, a condition that, that anybody who, who, wants to, who, who has access to other services doesn't use these for the state. And I think that's the problem because somebody who is impoverished, and I want to use the word impoverished because I, I believe that, People are impoverished, not because, because poverty is not a natural condition. And then they have to access an alternative system. So there's two countries that are, that are happening. But don't we create people who are sort of are, are almost dependent on the government? We've been talking about the nanny state, the creation of a government that, that continually dishes out social welfare to the disabled, to the poor, to the, the weak, to those who can't engage in the economy because of various reasons, child support grants and others. Aren't we creating a nation who are dependent upon the government and therefore reinforcing the cycle of poverty? There's an argument that's been made for that, Mandy. I think that's an argument that's often made by captains of industry and big business and it's often said, you know, poor people, they are responsible for their mm. own poverty. But, you, but, but what we really have to look at is, is, is that the, the state is not providing its responsibilities and this is happening all over the world. Well, let's ask, let's ask Dr. Daniel because part of your study looked at the social welfare grants, how effective they are and, and are they helping to lift people out of poverty? Dr. Daniel, what did you find? So in that respect, uh, we do ask in our questionnaires which grants uh, individuals within households receive. And so we do have the full set of grants available in South Africa. Now, what researchers have done then is to look at, um, for example, has the child support grant increased teenage fertility? So one hypothesis would be uh, that uh, young women would choose to have children earlier because uh, it would be a form of um, income. And... uh, Research has now refuted that hypothesis. It's not, in fact, the case. We're seeing increasingly that the child support grant is helping to get kids to school, uh, that it has been increased um, and and as it has been rolled out to uh, children all the way up to 18 in the last few years, it's helped keep them in school too. So that's one example of of a grant where the traditional sort of conservative ideas about its negative impacts have been rejected. There are other grants um, where we haven't done the same research yet, and that's where it's incumbent upon the research community to use the data, because it may be that other forms of grants do create forms of dependency. Um, 
the wonderful thing about the data, again, is that because it's freely available, anyone can download it and conduct that analysis for themselves to make those conclusions. That's the power of providing this data, which we've done. Give us a call now, 0891 or send us an SMS on 34701. Dirk has done so. He says, the problem to solve is, is, is not in the first place poverty, but rather privilege Privilege needs poverty to prosper. Brian and KZN, I agree, poverty is a government-made thing, is specifically caused by governments all over the world. Uh, this unsigned SMS, why do we say, what do we say about people who make bad personal choices? Example, having children they cannot afford too early and too many. And uh, this SMS, the truth is that given the immense wealth that exists in South Africa, if all of us woke up tomorrow morning with the intention to eradicate poverty, the next morning it would be gone in unsigned SMS. Well, that's the fact, isn't it? The Center for Analysis on SA Social Policy even looked at this question and said, Africa should be rich. Why aren't we rich? Do we have solutions? Uh, I'll put those questions to my guests shortly. But let's uh, go to the lines. And Tony in Pretoria, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Tony. What would you like to talk about? Um, well, I just wanted to mention that next year being the United Nations International Year of the Family, one of the main themes for that year is, is confronting family poverty. So, you know, I would encourage anybody who is working with family life, strengthening family relationships is also part of the government's policy, the white paper, and so on. And so, you know, by building up and strengthening family relationships, that is one way to confront family poverty. Thanks so much for that call, Tony. Is it important to know who causes poverty to solve it, Mandeep? I think so. I think, and, and the main thing is the collusion between the political and the economic elite. Why do we, you know, when people pay taxes, why do, we need to, why do we need to pay extra money to private companies to build roads? When people pay taxes, why can't they ride in, 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 in high-speed trains? Uh, they, why can't they afford to ride in them? Because somebody is making money off So it. is the solution to, to end poverty always about fixing what we're doing wrong rather than doing something right? I think the solution to ending poverty is firstly is when, when government works for the people. And unfortunately, democracy is being subverted. And this is happening everywhere. This is happening in the U.S. Congress where people want gun control, but, uh, but the congressmen are not, are not allowing mm. passing uh, gun control measures. This is happening uh, in, in many parts of the world. This has happened in Brazil, in Turkey. People were very upset in Brazil where the World Cup was, is being hosted and a lot of money is being spent on, 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 on all of these uh, big, uh, big public stadiums. In Turkey, there's a beautiful, lovely park in the heart of Istanbul, which, uh, which the government uh, wanted to develop. So, so, so this, basically what is happening is that the, the direct link between the people and their leaders is now being interfered with th through the economic elite. And the economic elite are often becoming the political elite. So the lines have absolutely blurred, and that is what we really need to address. W would the NDP help to address some of those problems? I think so. I think the NDP should do carry out a study of people in government. What are their interests with big business? How do they, uh, or how much money, how much are they profiting from all of this? And that would be really useful. So more information rather than less. Absolutely. And they are, and as they mentioned, they are open. They want to share all of this data. So, Dr. Daniels, do, do you have any solutions for poverty? I mean, is that something that you can identify in terms of the trends that you see uh, on income dynamics in South Africa? 
Well, I think that um, there has been a lot of global emphasis on what are the solutions to poverty. I think that um, as many of the guests we've even phoned in have spoken about and even previously about the Khutsong example, mm. people are just sick and tired of um, having so much inequality and poverty in society and are searching very, for very serious solutions. Um, could, you, could, could that be the basic income grant as uh, someone SMSed in earlier? So uh, a basic income grant, just to define it for the mm. listeners, is a grant that's universal. It goes to uh, all adults or, and sometimes even beyond that um, and uh, just give them a little bit of money to use in whichever way they want to. The reason why it's been considered a, possibly a good thing is because um, it, uh, it has a very low possibility of corruption and a range of other things. I think the importance um, of gr- grants like that is uh, is essential, but South Africa already has a set of social grants, and they seem to be doing their job quite well at the moment. So I would be um, sort of inclined to say that we first need to consider how successful these grants are in transforming the livelihoods of people. Now, that's where the NIDS data comes into its own again. As I spoke about that child support grant, one example of something doing a really good uh, job, but the other examples where that may not be happening. Now, as a research community, um, the reason why this uh, free release of the data is useful is because it's people working in anthropology, sociology, epidemiology, and other disciplines. It's as they collectively utilize this data and get the results into the public domain and talk about them that we'll get the kind of broad-based social policy changes that we uh, need. And sometimes those social policy changes may in fact find that some things are working well and don't need to change Mm. when other things aren't. That's the power of this data set. And well, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to know exactly what your respondents had to say on things like the expanded public works program. You heard uh, the, the Secretary of the Kutsun Crisis Committee, uh, Committee saying uh, these things are subject to cronyism and, and nepotism and the people who deserve the jobs never seem to get it because of, of the political authorities in the area. Uh, I'll ask you that question right after this. Uh, Anonymous has called in from Kutsung as well. Anonymous, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, thank you, this morning. Anonymous, what would you like to tell us about your community? Yes, uh, please. Uh, the EPWP program, mm-hmm. which uh, the municipality claims that they do have the program, it's not a program. It's a tenderized issue, you know, because there is a person who is responsible who has been given that tender, and now the certain that we're getting is something like 1.5, and which is a very uh, small money that, that you can make a living with. And when they are asked about uh, the national, the, the national uh, expanded public works programs, uh, documents and recommendations according to the policies, that is not what is been happening with this program here. Mm. That's why I'm supporting Mr. Terence by saying that um, this program does not exist because of only tenders exist here, and a few people are only getting. T- Unfortunately, Anonymous's line has dropped. I'm sorry about that, Anonymous. Uh, we've also got another caller, but I think that's a very important point that he's making and, and reiterating the point about uh, the expanded public works program. I like how he said it. It's tenderized, uh, not a soft issue, I don't think. Uh, Abba in Durban, good morning. Yeah, good morning. It's Ivor. Ivor, hi. Good morning, Ivor. Good morning to you. Yeah, you know, I want to just say uh, this is a very, very delicate subject because mm. if you take, if you, I've said it before and I've phoned in before, if you take a drive from Bethlehem and you go to Aberdeen, Westboro, Lady Brand, and all these rural areas have all collapsed, okay? 
and you've got a population of 9,000 9, disadvantaged people in a town which are having children, they have children for the sake of getting the grant. Okay, so you take all the farm, the farming communities there have all collapsed. The government has collapsed. They given it to, gave it to people that couldn't farm it. You even take that, and uh, this is where it all starts, poverty starts, when they collapse all these farms, unemployment. I mean, even you take Cater Ridge, for instance, who was a farm with 300,000 chickens. They sold the farm to somebody, okay? He bought the farm, and six months later they had to get the SBCA there to, to kill all the 300,000 300, chickens. And everybody that was employed in that farm now doesn't work. Mm. Ivor, we hear you. Thanks so much for your call there, Ivor, talking about the collapse of services. Uh, let's talk more about that, and perhaps do we need some new methods? Uh, are the old methods working of t- dealing with poverty? Do we need some new methods? Uh, I'll pose that challenge to my guests right after this. We don't know why you chose a red car. Maybe it made turning 40 a little easier. We don't know that. But we do know that things like the color of your car, how often you exercise and what you eat, all affect your risk profile, which affects your life cover premium. And maybe you didn't know that. With the Liberty Risk Revealer, and I say first, you can do your own risk assessment online and possibly qualify for up to 12% off on a new lifestyle protector policy. No, we don't know why you chose a red car, but we do know how to give you a discount on comprehensive cover, no matter what the color of your midlife crisis. Access Risk Revealer at libertyriskrevealer.co.za. Liberty, the advantage of knowing. Liberty is an authorized financial services provider. T's and C's apply. What does to prosper mean to you with ABSA Rewards? It means earning real cash back every time I swipe my ABSA card. It's knowing that some of what I spent on that new full set of tires is coming back to me. It's the peace of mind of knowing that the security system I paid for is paying money back to me. With ABSA Cash Rewards, it all adds up. Every time you swipe your ABSA debit, check or credit card, you earn real cash back for you to spend as you like. To join ABSA Rewards, SMS Rewards to 31513. ABSA, member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. Standard SMS rates apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Dr. Daniels, I'd like to pose that challenge to you first. What should we do to solve poverty? What are the solutions that you see after conducting this study? Okay, so I think the important thing uh, for me is that uh, we move away from ideology and uh, allow data to help understand what the nature of our problems are from an economic and social point of view. But data alone, of course, you'll admit, doesn't do very much. We need to engage with that data. Indeed, and therefore what we also do uh, as the producers of this data is we also train researchers. So we offer two training courses on how to utilize the data in January and in July. Now, the reason why we do the training is um, it's also open to government officials, it's open to um, uh, other academics and other institutions in South Africa, is to ensure that the the research community has a responsibility to do research of the highest quality so that what we are getting into the debate, at least about different poverty and policy outcomes, is informed debate. Right? It's that it can't be based upon the sloganizing of what problems are. We need to be able to pinpoint where problems exist, when they're successful, when they fail, and why. 
the way in which we do that in a way that advances our society is to get the quality of our data up to the highest levels as possible and then the quality of our research up to the highest levels as possible. And South Africa has fantastically good institutions in that respect. So it is a question of leveraging what's out there already to help inform that debate. Mr. Tawana? I would actually disagree with Professor Reza, especially about the ideological issue because it is neoliberal economic policies where markets are being prioritized over people that is actually exacerbating this. It is the blurring of lines, the political elite becoming the economic elite, and the economic elite now becoming the political elite, which is part of the problem. And we need to mobilize. And I think people need to challenge this in the streets, but they also need to challenge it through judicial system. They need to challenge it at their workplace. And they need, and they are doing this. In fact, the Occupy movement was against uh, and is against all of these neoliberal economic policies that are taking away what is rightfully ours and uh, the indignados in, in Europe, the, the movement is continuing there have been massive anti-corruption protests in India and in fact in Uganda, uh, in Uganda there is the Black Monday movement where people are wearing black every day to their office to t- particularly challenge this about this collusion between the economic and political elite and uh, people need to mobilize and that is, that, that is because peop- they, we are not going to be able to access our rights in the way that the whole system is so skewed and something has to give and something has to change and uh, and the, the way to do that is is by demanding uh, what is rightfully ours our democratic rights through the democratic system mm. I'll give you one final chance because uh, we, we just have five minutes here to, to end up the program so final thoughts from uh, both of our guests uh, but Mr. Tuana, we heard last night uh, the Transport Minister De Poa Peter saying the most honourable thing you can do is buy your e-tag for your e-toll. But but listening to you and, and, and others out there, is not the most honourable thing to do to vote, to get engaged with your your to become an active citizen in South Africa? Yes, I think it's to challenge injustice. This country was built on certain values, certain premises. I mean, the Freedom Charter says the, la- the, the country belongs, you know, the people shall come first. The Constitution of South Africa prioritizes people. Unfortunately, 20 years down the line, next year we're going to celebrate democracy. And are people being prioritized? I think that's what people need to challenge. And uh, in, in, in these 20 years, what have we achieved as a country, and oh, and where is South Africa going? Is it going to is it going to follow the herd as far as neoliberal economic policies are concerned, or is it going to forge its own path? I mean, the path which so, the whole hopes of the world were on South Africa in 1994. Mm. Uh, Dr. Daniels, I'll give you the final word on this. Uh, we asked the question at the beginning: How will your study, how will defining poverty, help break the cycle? How do you think that will happen? Okay, so I think uh, firstly the Nothing of what I've said today contradicts uh, what uh, what some of the other uh, contributors to the debate have said. So how I see the data that we released is just a tool into the policy debate, right? So it can be utilized by people of any ideological persuasion. Um, that's the strength of the data. So as an academic, it is my responsibility to uh, be playing a role in society where things like data um, are produced in a way that can be utilized by others and mm. where we can reproduce the findings. So just to reiterate, our data is available at www.nids.uct.ac.za. There are training courses associated with that too. But my personal opinion is that um, as a society, we need to be able to um, 
utilize the tools available in order to inform that policy debate. And, and it's absolutely urgent. I completely agree. Uh, there are many social conditions um, which are terrible for most majority of people to live in. And I think that the great thing about this is that it is an initiative that's designed to help uh, researchers um, transform the society through their own work in whichever dimension they want to follow. Dr. Riza Daniels, thank you very much for joining us, co-principal investigator at the National Income Dynamics Study Research Team, joining us from our C-Point studio, and Mandeep Tawana joining me in studio here, the head of policy and research at Civicus. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time today. And uh, thank you so much for your SMSs. I'll run through the ones that uh, I haven't read as yet. The old basic way of living is deliberately scrapped through westernized developments. Never will the old Bantu way of living be promoted. Mokwepu and Soweto, I'm not sure why the media and all so-called experts continue with their heads in the sand. Africans must be paid their reparations from Kodesa. Uh, Anthony, ordinary people are poor because they spend 256 billion rand a year on gambling. Uh, Mobema says poverty is a product of capitalism. Smash the system of capitalism and poverty will be a thing of the past. And this is from Martha. Most of the young people want to work in call centers. When I suggested nursing to a young lady, her reply was, that's hard work. Well, it's going to take hard work for us to answer the big question, how will defining poverty help break the cycle? We started the conversation today. You get to continue it. And Letlo uh, Honolo wanted to have the access details to the poverty study. I'll repeat them out for you. It's www.nids, NIDS, National Income Diversity Study, .uct .ac.za and uh, as Dr. Daniel says they're prepared to train you to use the information as well thanks so much to our team that's Tracy Boomgard and Swaki Kmu Jake Mokomo and Apiwa Honono senior producers Obriel Mpofu technical producer in Tokozo Kuzwayo and Gift Zikalala forum producers Ronald Piri and Klengiwa Mabaso chief producer Budzi Lokoto and executive producers Abusi Chane and Aubrey Sechia I'm Darshan Mali thank you so much for joining us today look forward to speaking to you again tomorrow 6 to 9 a.m. Thank you. Bye-bye.